Welcome to the Alternative Mormon Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Alternative Mormon. Today, we have another faith transition interview, and this is one I've been excited for for many weeks. We've got Stephen Murphy from the YouTube channel Mormonism with the Murph joining us today. And uh, just a brief introduction to Stephen from what I've seen on his channel. I came across Stephen's channel. I can't remember exactly how, um, but what I've noticed is, and and I'll let him jump in in a minute, but... um, as far as channels go that are, are non-biased or, or central or objective, it's one of the best I've found, um, which is why I was so excited to, to have Stephen join us today. The other thing I'm excited about, and for my listeners who have listened previously know, um, a big focus on this uh, podcast is faith crises and faith transitions. Listening to a little bit of Stephen's story, I was amazed to find someone who's had a faith crisis of their own transitioned away from the church and then transitioned back. And so I'm just really excited to dive into that and, and get to know a little bit of that story. So Stephen, thank you and welcome to the Alternative Mormon Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. So tell us a little bit about your YouTube channel, first of all. Yeah, so it's uh, it's called Mormonism with the Murph. Uh, it started at uh, the end of June, start of July. And uh, the reason I sort of started then was I had a really busy year training to become a teacher and I had absolutely like no free time. Uh, like I was being a, a student teacher, at least the over in England where I, where I was doing it, it was really intense, but I was still listening to um, some podcasts and you know, there were some things that happened with friends and family members who had been leaving the church and things were resurfacing. So that sort of prompted me to really re-examine and, uh, and and start, you know, going into the church's truth claims and church history topics. So yeah, I, I started in July, and the goal of my channel is to try to fairly and objectively, and in a sort of like a balanced, neutral way, have a look at the church's truth claims and dive into controversial history. Um, I do my own sort of episodes where I research things and sort of try to present both sides and the sources, and then sometimes I try to interview like scholars or sort of like experts on a topic to go a little bit deeper and get their perspectives. Uh, but yeah, the goal of my channel is to try to be unbiased as much as I can. We talked about this before off air that you can never fully eliminate your bias, but my goal is to be fair, objective, and let people come to their own conclusions. I don't want to manipulate or sway people in how they interpret it. And at the start, some people were unsure. I, I did outline my very first video, briefly my story and what my intentions are. And so I'd, I'm not hiding that I'm still in the church and still sort of like a believer. Uh, but on some of my videos, people have been confused about wait, which side are you on? Are you like attacking the church, defending or like neither? And that is sort of my goal is to try to be objective as best as I can. Yeah, and I think I think you do a really good job of it from what I've seen. Um, I will mention, for those who have never heard you before, they'll probably notice a little bit of your non-American accent. And so, uh, you're from Northern Ireland, is that correct? That's correct, yeah. Uh, I was born in Belfast, 
Uh, I spent part of my childhood in England, but most of my teenage years uh, in Northern Ireland. I did go on a mission to Canada, Alberta, which I can talk about later, but I developed a bit of a Canadian twang when I came back. And I've sort of been back and forth from England. But yes, Northern Irish accent, which might sound different to the typical Southern Irish accent, which most people associate with Ireland, because Northern Ireland, it's separate country, part of the UK, won't get into the politics, but it's, it almost sounds maybe more similar to Scotland than the typical Irish accent. Awesome. Um, so I don't know if they, when you were a kid growing up, if they had the show Reading Rainbow in Northern Ireland, um, but that's kind of no, a, uh, that's a US kid show that they would go over books. But at the end of every show, they would say, but don't take my word for it. And then they would give you the books to read. And it sounds like that's sort of what you do on your podcast. And and a quote that I've used on my podcast as well, you know, trying to point people, maybe maybe give people a little bit of curiosity and a little bit of um, a little bit of information. But ultimately, like everybody has to do their own homework, right? And it has to come to their own conclusions. That's it. Uh, and what I found as well, to what's really troubling to one person may not be to another. People react differently to different information. So I think it's, important to be considerate of that as well and yeah it's important I think to just provide both sides um, you know could people can make more of an informed decision uh, that another thing that came from my uh, year of becoming a student teacher is we did a debate week at school and um, you know the real function of a debate is to look at the for and against arguments and evidence and when we did like discussion writing it's very balanced and that also sort of prompted me because I, I felt there wasn't too many YouTube channels or, po or podcasts that were sort of balanced I felt like they were either biased against the church or quite biased for the church and I was listening to both and I felt like I wanted to bridge them together a little bit yeah and I, I think that's an awesome motivation I, I don't know what political news or radio in Ireland's like, but in the US, we really don't have unbiased politics. You know, you have your Fox News on the right, and then you have like your CNNs or your MSNBC on the left. And I've always said that with political stuff. It's like, it would be nice to just get the unfiltered politics and the unfiltered news. But but really what you have to do is kind of listen to both sides and and take what you like from each side and, and try to, uh, you know, evaluate bias. So... So I think yeah. what you're doing is uh, is a great work. And from my few times that I've tried to dive into the issues, you know, a lot of this is about faith crises, but I have attempted to dive into some of the issues. I think the objective study is probably the most difficult because otherwise you can fill in your bias, you can fill in your own opinions. But to be objective, I, I would say it probably takes the most work. So I think that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it, it's tough. And, um, you know, whenever I was more of a, you know, a TBM, really orthodox, even when I think back to myself as a missionary, I would have really tried to almost defend the church or Joseph Smith at all costs. And you always felt like you had to, even if it was not a strong position, you know, give an answer. And if, if there was a faithful answer to something, you would just cleave to it, whether or not it's a strong position or not. I guess it's confirmation bias, which both sides can be susceptible and, and guilty of. Yeah, absolutely. What what's been the uh, what's been the reaction to your channel? From your comments, it looks like they've been mostly positive. But have you gotten any negative feedback from people? Sure. Yeah. Um, like yeah, most of it's been quite positive, and it's quite a mix of listeners. I did do a, a poll uh, a couple of months ago, and 
of the ones that responded to it, about one third are active sort of orthodox members, one third are either like progressive or more nuanced, and then one third are, you know, ex-Mormon. So it is quite the mix. Uh, I've gotten like a few people who have sort of attacked me more, like if I've posted on like a Facebook group or something, uh, I did get banned on ex-Mormon Reddit, which was disappointing. Um, you know, I posted some of the Jim Bennett interviews responding to the CS letter. But in general, most of it has been really, really good. Uh, people have been really kind. Uh, even those people who have, who have left the church and who don't agree with the church's positions or a faithful interpretation have appreciated me trying to be neutral and sort of balanced. And um, I think they haven't felt like I've been misrepresenting things. Um, and it's hard, it's hard to please when you have a big variety of audience, it's hard to please them all. Because if you go into a topic that's a little bit more critical, you know, your believer audience are going to not like it and vice versa. If you're a little bit more faithful or pro, your your ex-Mormons or critics won't like it. Uh, but in general, I think it's been really, really positive. Well, I can sympathize because I got banned and got in an argument with the LDS subreddit when I tried to post an interview with my friend Mike, who is a believing believing member. You know, I, I posted it because I was like, I think believers would like this. And they said, oh, well, you're on the ex-Mormon Reddit too. You're banned. So I can totally sympathize with that. Yeah, I, I find there, it was very interesting. Whenever I would post a interview with either a sort of faithful historian or like, for example, Jim Bennett, who wrote a response to CS letter, if I would post that on like a ex-Mormon sort of group, which maybe was a little bit inconsiderate of me, but I thought they might have been interested you know, they just all were outraged by it. But then if I were to post the interview with like a critic like Dan Vogel, uh, that would get banned as well. So neither side doesn't want to hear the other perspective, which to me, I can understand that, but I'm more kind of open-minded. I, I like to hear different perspectives, different voices, and I don't like the us versus them mentality and the attacking. And I think dialogue and just open discussion, I think should be encouraged. Yeah, and I th I think what you said right there is the reason you're the first uh, podcaster or YouTuber I've invited on the show uh, right there because you know it, it, for those who have listened that's a that's a huge purpose and goal of mine. So yeah, let's I think there's other channels as well. Like um, I will give a shout out to I think Gospel Tangents and uh, Stephen Pinecker, um, Warren Book Reviews. I think they're quite good at being neutral as well. Even when certain podcasts like I think when Mormon Stories first started, I think it was very good at hearing from both sides and I agree. unfortunately after his excommunication it's you know 95 percent of the time either you know critics or ex-mormons um but yeah there's there's other places who i think have modeled the transparency and trying to be neutral as well yeah yeah well let's let's dive into the content a little bit you know get to know you get to know your your faith story and and uh yeah get into a little bit of of this discussion so for yeah. starters, um, tell us a little bit of, of your life growing up in the church. Were you were you born in the church? You already mentioned your mission. Uh, you know, any any callings you held? Yeah, just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I was born uh, and raised in the church. Uh, my dad, he was a convert and he went on a mission. He went to uh, Winnipeg in Canada and then he met my mom after his mission. My mom was really, really faithful and active and she you know, served in, in callings. I'm the youngest three kids. So I grew up, you know, going to church, went to primary. We did family home evenings. We weren't great at prior and scripture study, but we, we try, but we weren't perfect. 
But I grew up in yeah, quite a orthodox home, but we weren't like fanatics. That made sense. Like we would watch TV sometimes on a Sunday uh, and things like that. Um, I kind of found church kind of boring growing up, so I, I wasn't sparsely minded as a kid. Um, so I, I wouldn't consider myself to have a testimony or anything like that as a child. But whenever I was 12, you know, I went, I got the ironic priesthood and, you know, was deacon, teacher, priest. So, you know, moved my way up, you know, with the young men's program, did seminary, due to God. Um, in terms of callings, I don't think I had, I think I had one calling before my mission. I was um, a Sunday school teacher to the, like the 12 year olds. And that was actually really good prep uh, for going on a mission, but also uh, me pursuing teaching as a career because I actually really enjoyed and just find it really rewarding, like teaching like the youth. Yeah. Um, kudos to you for being a school teacher. Uh, that's a noble <laughs> profession, something I couldn't do. So It's got its pros and its cons. It kind of depends on the day and the group of kids. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes sense. Um so as far as your testimony before your original faith crisis goes, do you feel like you were converted to the gospel at a certain point? Did that happen on your mission, before your mission? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so it was it was before my mission. Whenever I was so whenever I was twelve, we moved back from we were living in England for six years with my dad's work. And then we moved back to Northern Ireland whenever I was twelve. And I had a really good childhood. I was a happy kid, had great friends, didn't really have, you know, a problem in my life up until that point uh, but I started you know a new secondary school and I was kind of you know going through pure puberty and you come a little bit more self-conscious and uh, nervous and starting like a big secondary school and didn't know any people uh, I had a hard time sort of like fitting in with the other kids and then I started get, getting picked on and I went through sort of like a severe period of getting bullied and it had caused a lot of emotional issues in my life and it was during that period where that was kind of like when I turned to God for help. And I, I did have little experiences as a child, you know, like praying for something, like I couldn't find something. I'd say a prayer like, Heavenly Father, please help me find it. And then I'd find it. And that was almost like a mini testimony that I had of God and prayer. Uh, but I kind of treated God like a genie. Like as soon as I would get it, I'd be like, okay, I'm just going to get on with what I'm doing. But it was during this time where I was really praying for help and also kind of asking, like, why, why is this happening to me? And it was around when I was, like, 14, the missionaries, they were taking me for young men's activities because I was, like, the only young, young man in the ward. The church is quite small in Northern Ireland, but they gave me a preach my gospel and they, like, invited me to study the missionary lessons and seek a testimony. And I think, you know, I was 14. I was going through this hard trial and I think I was just a little bit more mature and kind of curious. And I guess I wanted to know for myself. So I studied, you know, the Master of the Restoration. I read, you know, Joseph Smith's history, his first vision, the angel in the gold plates. I read, you know, the Book of Mormon, studied like the plan of salvation and the atonement of Jesus Christ. And I kind of felt like an investigator who was like hearing the gospel for the first time. Like I was really coming to understand it. And it was like the seed of faith was growing within me like it just it made sense in my mind it felt right you know I felt this this peace during this time and it was almost like helping me through this trial so after a period of months I felt like I believed it was true but I wanted to like 
receive a spiritual witness, you know, like Moroni's promise that, you know, if you ask with a sincere heart, real intent and faith that God will give you manifest the truth of it by the power of the Holy Ghost. So one night I pretty much, you know, in my prayer told God that I believe it's true, but pray for a spiritual answer, a manifestation. And I felt like I received, you know, the burning in the bosom and just this joy and love come over me. And in that moment, it was like, I believed and I felt like I knew that, you know, I, I'm a child of God, that he's my loving Heavenly Father, that Jesus Christ is my Savior, that Joe Smith is a prophet, the Book of Mormon's true. And I just, it was like, that was my, my testimony. Uh, and also during that time, I felt like I really came to know the Savior and feel like his love and, and his grace, because the atonement never really had any relevance to me that he, you know, suffered for our sins and then overcame death. I kind of thought like great but like how does that really help me or have a whole lot of relevance but it was during this particular trial where i felt that and as i studied more about the atonement that he not only suffered for our sins but like all of our all of our pains all of our sorrows all of our suffering and one of the things that really stood out to me whenever i read through preach my gospel and studied about the atonement in the book of mormon is there is a, a statement that said that like everything that's unfair about this life will be made right through his atonement and i i felt like the spirit sort of like testified in my heart like this voice told me like he knows and that even though i felt really alone and really misunderstood and like nobody knew just how hard this trial was for me that that the savior did um and i really felt peace and comfort and also like hope that like if I turn to him and rely on him, that I can overcome those things. And I did over the next few years, like slowly overcome some of the issues I had, and I still have them. Um, but I felt that, you know, God and, and Jesus Christ were, were with me and helped me in that trial. So that was kind of like my, my testimony. And I also felt like I became quite converted to the gospel. And I had other like spiritual experiences going like to temple trips and EFYs and, I felt like I really knew it was true and I really wanted to go on a mission and, you know, serve the Lord. So my testimony was pretty strong. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And I, uh, for those who have listened, they'll know, you know, my beliefs today, they, they obviously change and I think will continue to change, but I consider myself still a Christian. Uh, I consider myself a universalist of sorts. And yeah. so um, I had similar experiences growing up and that's how I reconcile that, right? Is like, and, and obviously those experiences don't do very well in a logical argument. Obviously people can refute yeah, those. Subjective. You know, there's obviously part of me that looks back and thinks, could that have been just elevation emotion and, you know, sure. reading a very comforting message about, about Christ and that just um, filled me with, you know, strength, but it was really just my brain that overcame those things. Like that's, that's possible, but that that was sort of a personal time in my life because I love learning and reading about Jesus Christ, but it was that period where I felt like I came to know him personally. And it, like if there, there was ever a time where I felt like he was really close to me, it was during that, that period. Yeah, yeah, thanks for sharing. Okay, so once you went on your mission, do you feel like through your mission... Um, I think I already know the answer to this question because I haven't heard many people say the opposite, but do you feel like your testimony grew throughout your mission? Do you feel like it was challenged? 
So a bit of both. Um, so I went on my mission. Um, well, a brief story before going on my mission was whenever I was 18, I was starting to actually have cold feet about going on a mission. I kind of knew it was like the next part of the plan and it was, you know, God's will and the church was, you know, would encourage every worthy, evil young man to go on a mission. I wasn't fully living the gospel at 18. I was struggling with, you know, pornography and masturbation and things like that. And I wasn't really, you know, reading the scriptures, praying every day. I was just kind of going through the motions. But I had a friend who who was in the ward. He was kind of like a little brother to me. He had a near-death experience. He had a severe asthma attack and he uh, was rushed to ICU and very nearly died. And the doctors believed he was going to die. And that was that experience sort of, it was just crisis mode. Like we were all just in shock. Like, how did this happen? And I remember when I got the news that he wasn't going to make it just, you know, just crying my eyes out in desperation in my room. And it was like one of those moments where like the, the only person you have to turn to is like God. And I was just, you know, praying and just, you know, begging God to, to not let my friend die. You know, I didn't want him to die. It just didn't feel right. Like how, how this freak accident and, um, I sort of made a, a deal or a promise that like I, I had faith that God can answer prayers, that God can perform miracles and that if he would save my friend's life, that I would go on a mission and sort of give my life to him, you know, because I felt like I was sort of being a little bit selfish during that period because the thought of going on a mission became less appealing as it got closer. You know, the thought of just leaving friends and family for two years and not you know to play video games or watch movies or because I was really into tennis so I couldn't play tennis as much and there's a lot to sacrifice and be in a foreign country and like knock doors and talk about the church I was like that actually sounds pretty awful <laughs> like the more I was thinking about it but anyway after that prayer I have this peace and this sort of um this voice in my heart told me that he was going to live and you know as a family and as a stake you know I messaged a lot of the youth in the stake that we need to fast and pray for him and it was a time where like the scriptures and prayer and fasting became so meaningful and um long story short he he did live um and the doctor said you know he'd never be able to walk again or talk again he can talk but it has impaired his physical mobility so it's not a complete miracle that he fully recovered uh, but I, I interpreted that as God answering my prayer and to me it was a miracle so that was a real testimony booster to go on a mission um, so I went on my mission with really strong like zeal and, like the missionary fire like I wouldn't have considered myself a lazy missionary it's quite hard working I wanted to follow the rules I loved knocking doors and talking to people on the streets even though it could be awkward a little bit scary at times but and even with my sort of anxiety and shyness, I felt like I felt like the Lord was with me. Like I felt like I had the spirit with me. And I felt, you know, guided in teaching the missionary discussions and feeling like inspired at times and, you know, receiving promptings. The only sort of faith struggles I would say I had were doubts. Well, I began to notice certain things in the scriptures. I wouldn't really say they caused me to doubt anything, but I noticed, you know, uh, about the Lamanites being cursed with black skin, you know, in the Book of Mormon. And I thought like, ooh, I remember we were teaching a family from, I think it was like Guatemala or somewhere. And I was like, oh, I don't know how they would feel like if they were to read this passage, you know, or where it talks about like 
Jesus Christ being referred to as like both the Father and the Son. And I was like, this is weird because this sounds more like the Trinity than than the Godhead. And I was like, why is this saying this? Uh, and I also remember reading. Um, so there was a verse in I can't remember the exact passage, but it's like when Jesus says, like, there'll be many who will say unto me, Lord, do we not like cast out demons in your name and do many wonderful works? And then Jesus will say, oh, I never knew you. And Joseph Smith's translation of that verse changed it to you never knew me. But the sort of incorrect translation was in the Book of Mormon. I remember I noticed that and being like, huh, like if that was translated by the gift and power of God, why is that in there? So it's like we small things like that. I, I think I also noticed that there was a lack of just our doctrine of like, you know, temple ceilings and becoming gods and like some of those things like the pre-existence or kingdoms of glory it's like why aren't they actually in the book of mormon so i I noticed little things like that from reading it but they didn't cause any doubts um the one faith challenge i did experience which was really big at the time was there was a young woman from back home who i believed and thought i'd received like a spiritual confirmation about and you know like answers to prayer and spiritual signs like it was more than just oh i like this girl and um i sort of believed that like if i was faithful and worthy that you know we'd be together after i mission and she married someone else and that was a real that that was my first sort of faith crisis and it was nothing to do with church history or anything like that it was i thought you know the spirit had told me this and for whatever reason it didn't come to pass and maybe it's because I wasn't faithful enough or worthy enough or um, you know she had agency so it didn't matter it was a one-way revelation but then I was really wrestling with like what if that wasn't the spirit and then it ca- caused me to question well how do I really know how can I say with certainty I know Joe Smith is a prophet or the Book of Mormon's true if the, a similar spiritual confirmation I had about this young woman turned out to be wrong and that was a real that was a real crisis and I thought maybe I might have to come home you know I don't know if I can continue to serve my mission and I was sort of at a point where I could either turn away from God and like sort of just be like well I'm done or turn towards him in faith just despite feeling confused and a little bit misled and and I did and I felt like I had continued like spiritual experiences and had some just amazing experiences with people you taught and like feeling like you saw miracles and like you were at the Lord's hands and like an instrument in his hands. And so overall the mission was a real strengthening experience to my testimony. And I felt more converted and I saw the fruits of living and being immersed in the gospel. So in, in Canada, were people generally aware of the church? Did you get any people who anti you at all or were antagonistic towards you good question actually not really um i would say uh, it's probably a mixed bag um i served in calgary and i don't think as many people knew about the church there but like lethbridge so like closer towards southern alberta there's a lot more you know mormons there so people were familiar with you um there was a lot of rejection for the most part in canada it was very rare to be uh welcomed in the door um in terms of anti, no, not really. We did have one neighbor who, um, I think she was like this weird English lady who walked a dog and she had a strange accent. I 
don't even know where it was from but she was really nice and i felt prompted one day to like we should really share the gospel with her and i shared with her you know the message of the book of mormon and how it was brought forth through the prophet joseph smith and then she was like oh that joseph smith was you know a sexual predator sleeping with loads of women and other men's wives and saying all these like really rude insulting antagonistic things and i was really offended and i kind of like rebuked her and was just like he's a prophet of god and kind of like how dare you say those things about him and i think i remember a random person told me on the street how the church had just released joseph smith's seer stone um and i'd never heard of the seer stone before and i just thought well it's loony doesn't know what he's on about uh, but other than that i didn't ever encounter anyone who was articulate or well versed in critical material uh, it was more maybe encountering like jehovah witnesses or uh protestants who would bash with you a little bit yeah no that's interesting and uh obviously this is your story not mine uh but as we start talking about your faith crisis mine started mostly on my mission i served in the united states and uh not, I served in Indiana, so not far from the Bible Belt. And yeah. the, I used to joke that I got anti almost every single day on my mission, whether it was, you know, just something simple of like, well, you guys aren't Christians or something more complex to like the multiple first vision accounts or blood atonement or polygamy. Yeah. Like it, it amazed me how much some of these just Christians, uh, you know, a long ways from Utah knew about the church. And so, so yeah, I, I definitely got immersed in it. It sounds like, you know, obviously it's different. You still got immersed in antagonistic attitudes and uh, rejection, which, which honestly for me on my mission, that was more difficult than anti. I could kind of laugh off the anti when I was a missionary. The rejection obviously is, is hard, especially uh, where you said you were pretty, pretty zealous and pretty excited for your mission. If you were anything like me, you go out in the mission field and you think you have the spirit with you and you'll be able to convince anybody that, yeah. you know, that they're wrong and, and that they need to follow the church and and pretty soon at least on my mission i realized yeah that that's not really the case and and god respects <laughs> free will i think um yeah at the start i definitely did experience kind of like discouragement with a lot of rejection and you know especially when like member lesson or like um lessons with investigators would fall through and you'd have a day knocking doors and nobody would even listen to but i think the way i sort of handled it at least towards the end of my mission which I think is sort of like a good perspective is I, I sort of saw it as like, as long as I'm sort of doing the Lord's work and, you know, sharing, you know, the gospel, if they reject me, I sort of saw it as they're not rejecting me personally. They're, if I represent Christ, they're rejecting him. And as long as I'm doing what he would have me do, that's, that's what a successful missionary is. It's not about how many people you baptize or how many people listen, as long as you're doing your best to uh, represent him. I think also towards that, I just started to not care if people were rejected, <laughs> but it, it can be tough. It, it can be tough. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Talking to my friends who served like in Africa or South America, where they just had people, you know, five or six baptisms a week. It's definitely, definitely every mission is a different experience from. from and that I was remember. one part of the mission that I was never really into was all about the numbers, like. I could understand goals, like setting goals to sort of like motivate you. And I think there's some good in that. But when it get, when you get too fixated on the numbers, like I remember reporting once to the zone leaders and we had kind of a bad week, but we were working really hard. And they said to us, like, what's our, what's sort of going on? And I was like, look, we can't control people's agency. Like all we can do is pray, be obedient, 
try to share the gospel as best we can. And if lessons cancel, if nobody wants to meet with us, that's out of our control. Right. Well, let's get into your faith crisis experience a, a little bit. So uh, when did that happen or start happening? And, and what was it that first triggered it? Yeah, so um, I'd never went looking for anything critical of the church. Like, you know, you, you know, we've been cautioned to stay away from anti-Mormon literature that's anti-Mormon lies, that those people are just going to try to destroy your testimony. So I never went looking for any of it. But I had an older sister who had left the church and she had just issues with, you know, Joseph Smith, church history and just the church in general. I wouldn't say that she was hostile, but she really didn't like the church. Um, and after my mission, my mum my passed away which was obviously a very sad and devastating thing to go through, but it was also a time where it brought us together as, as a family. And um, it was a time where I, I think I turned even more to like the gospel and to prayer and, you know, hope in, you know, the savior and the resurrection, the plan of salvation. And, you know, I really wanted my family to be united and, you know, to be together forever. And I wanted to help bring my sister back to the church and in order to resolve her concerns I had to be aware of what they were and I, I knew I felt like I knew the gospel kind of well like I'd studied the scriptures a lot like I'd read like Mormon doctrine and institute and seminary seminary manual so I felt like I had a pretty decent doctrinal understanding however I was oblivious to a lot of things in church history so I, I asked her like share with me some of your concerns and as she did I was just like there's no way these things are true like where are you getting this information from? Like, these just seem like lies. And it was like kind of small things to start off with. Like she told me how like Josie Smith drank wine in Carthage jail. And I'm like, what? I'm like, no, he didn't. And then like marrying like, um, like 14, marrying a 14 year old girl and other men's wives and how he used to see her stone to translate the Book of Mormon. And I was like, wait, that loony was right. You know, like kind of like those things. And then as she was verifying things on like, the journal of discourses or the history of the church or the gospel topics essays i began to realize like oh like these things are actually verifiable and you know adam god theory and some of the racial teachings uh by past prophets about you know people with black skin and it caused me to sort of go down the rabbit hole where i was like right i want to i want to listen to all the critical material i can but i want to answer it i want to sort of debunk it and that was sort of my goal. Um, and I was listening to critics like Grant Palmer, Sandra Tanner, because they really caused my sister to leave the church. So I was like, I'm going to listen to all of their sort of interviews and podcasts with them. Uh, Dan Vogel as well, who's a very prominent critic. I watched a lot of his YouTube channel. I then discovered Mormon stories and got into that. And within this, a period of a couple of months, I was just being uh, immersed to all these controversial issues um, and things which just seemed completely um, just like smoking guns to the church being true and my testimony was just being destroyed. Uh, I did meet with my state president a couple of times. I was going for a Temple Recommend interview and um, I just couldn't answer yes to Joe Smith being a prophet and sustaining as prophets, seers, and revelators, and he was quite nuanced, and he was aware of some of the issues, so he was able to show empathy and understanding. But and he sort of told me, you know, maybe check out Fair Mormon. So I checked out Fair Mormon and some of their answers to things, 
but I just felt like I didn't find good apologetic answers. And I did feel, you know, that betrayal. I did feel like the church had sort of said, don't go near any of this critical information because it's all anti-Mormon lies. And then you find out a lot of it is true. You know, it's maybe just a critical interpretation to it. Um, so I did feel kind of betrayed. And I also was questioning my spiritual experiences, you know, were they just elevation emotion based on the information I was presented with? Um, and yeah, within a couple of months, you know, just everything, it wasn't really one issue. It was just everything like the multiple accounts of Joseph Smith's first vision, you know, did his theology of God just evolve over time? Um, you know, the book Abraham translation, anachronisms in the book of Mormon and, you know, the King James Bible and Protestant Christianity and, uh, I began to see the Book of Mormon as just like a 19th century work that Joseph Smith, you know, made up from his just being a sponge and everything from his environment uh, and prophets and some of the false doctrine that had been taught. And yeah, I just no longer believed it was true that Joseph Smith was a prophet, that the Book of Mormon was true, that we're led and guided by prophets today. So whenever I no longer believed, I was like, I need to, I need to leave. And I was serving as young men's president at the time. And I was like, I can't keep teaching these young men, you know, if I don't believe this is true. So I wrote a letter to my bishop and he was kind of unaware of what was going on because I was keeping all of this to myself, just between me and my state president. But I wrote like a little letter, um, really positive, but like great experiences in the church. My mission was great, had nothing but great experiences with the leader. So I, I, I didn't feel resentment to the church. But I outlined, you know, why I no longer believe and these are the issues I have and just made it very clear that, um, yeah, I'm not going to come back to church. So a couple of things I want to talk about in your experience. First of all, you brought up um, this is showing that I've stalked you a little bit, but um, you brought up Grant Palmer. And yeah. one of the things on your YouTube channel I think is just so cool is you have a picture. I can't remember whether it's your profile picture or something, but you have a picture of saints and then rough stone rolling and then Grant Palmer's uh origins of um what's yeah, the insider's, view of, mormon insider's view of mormon origins yeah. Yeah, yeah and i just think that was such a cool like example of your channel yeah, diversity. Like, <laughs> yeah yeah the bias towards the church uh rough stone rolling i wouldn't quite call it neutral but and i think neutral. it's almost as neutral as you can and then grant palmer so i think that's cool i would like to say i did that deliberately putting a message across but i think i just picked those three random books <laughs> <laughs> well it worked it worked great um the other thing you brought up was the uh the apologists, Fair Mormon, and, uh, you know, you've got your Ask Gramps or whatever, all those. Um, one thing from the CES letter, and and let me first say, I'm not the biggest fan of the CES letter. I've said that vocally before. Mm -hmm. um, but mostly, mostly I'm not a big fan of it because I think people use it for what it's not. I call it more of a Wikipedia of anti rather than, you know, a scholarly article because Jeremy yeah. Reynolds covers everything. There's no way he can objectively get into anything in a, what, 60-page document or... Yeah, and it's funny, I hadn't read the CS letter until after I left, believe it or not. You think I would have, but I, I hadn't encountered it. But my all the the funny thing was all the bullet points on my own letter were the same as his CS letter, maybe except like science. I don't think I talked about it in it, but so I really resonated with his CS letter whenever I read it. So it further supported my my position. Um yeah, sorry, continue what you were going to say. No, you're good. Maybe maybe you were just a few years away from being your own Jeremy Reynolds and getting Mormonism fame through <laughs> publishing your letter, right? 
yeah yeah that's it no i i even considered after i left like the idea of a youtube channel didn't just begin this year like i thought about it in my head whenever i'd left about because i was watching a lot of like critical channels of the church and really enjoyed them and mormon stories i really was into mormon stories and just listening to critics and even um like uh biblical youtube channels like uh jeff durbin's and they're like god loves mormons and i listened to a lot of them and how even like the bible contradicts mormonism and it was just further reinforcing that like this is not true um oh but with uh, with apologetics because you mentioned that i didn't fully dive into apologetics um but i did look at a few things i did go to fair mormon i looked at a few things such as their response to maybe like dna and native americans or the kinderhook plates or i thought um i think horses was one i looked at and i thought the loan shifting argument of maybe their tapirs and that horses was just the word that joe smith used you know in the translation i just thought it was just weak apologetics and you know even trying to justify joe smith's polygamy I, I just was very unconvinced by it and my shelf was just breaking and i didn't find i think it was even the fact that they validated some of the issues i was kind of hoping that they would say oh no this is not true but the fact they were kind of validating but then trying to respond just um yeah i couldn't reconcile my testimony and spiritual experiences with all of the information so yeah so i just left yeah, I what I was going to say about the CES letter is Jeremy Reynolds says something, and I'm going to misquote it terribly, but it's near the end of the CES letter. He says, "Those these apologists did more harm to my testimony than any critic would have done. And that I resonate with that because, you know, when you read the critics, you're like, oh, well, this guy's angry or biased. And then you start reading some of these, I'll say, weak apologists, apologist arguments or verifying, like you're saying, the critics or kind of having this mental gymnastics for me, that was what really the shelf just came tumbling down. You know, I even even listening to some of kind of the fringe scholars who maybe aren't even apologists, and I have tons of yeah. respect for them, like the Patrick Masons or the Terrell Givens. It's yes. like I would listen to them and I'm like, I just can't think that way. You know, I, I have lots of respect for them. I think they're very intelligent. I think they've thought it all through. And I, I love that they can make the framework work for yeah. them. But for me, that's what, you know, brought it all. Uh, I think down. it's because... You know we've grown up and i think the church is responsible for this in a way I, we grew up with very black and white thinking i don't think you can blame it just on the culture church culture i think it was also you know coming from the prophet seers and revelators and the doctrine we were taught was very black and white view of scripture revelation prophets you know very literalistic fundamentalist i didn't really have much nuance like mormon doctrine to me was mormon doctrine and it couldn't, uh, it didn't hold up when it came to all of these problematic things in with the church's truth claims in church history. So describe a little bit when you were in the depths of your of your faith crisis, either before or after you left the church. Um, for anyone who's never had a faith crisis, what does that feel like, or what did it feel like to you? Oh, yeah, it's interesting. Um, it's mixed emotions. Um, it is mixed, um, at least for me. I think for some people, it's more devastating and more um they go through a lot more emotional turmoil i think for me and especially the stage i was at like i was 22 when it, when it happened um so part of me i found it kind of exciting learning all the new information it was really it, it was almost like you know further knowledge and it was it was really exciting i was obviously very sad and felt kind of 
torn and because a lot of my spiritual experiences I kind of held to and part of me felt like if I'm if I leave the church am I sort of betraying God by like turning against some of these things like the the testimony I thought I received of the Book of Mormon whenever I was 14 so there was a bit of a wrestle um but I, I found it actually kind of liberating leaving it was kind of it was kind of like you know like a bad relationship and it's like you, you see the true colors and then you're like I'm done I'm out of here goodbye and so it was kind of liberating and exciting in a way and I was kind of like I'm gonna have a fresh start and I'm I'm done in a way but I, I didn't have too like I was against the church but I wouldn't say I was angry or had too much hostility um so yeah it, like it, it's mixed emotions you know there's obviously an excitement where it's like hey I, I could try coffee or now I can try alcohol you know like all those things that were you're restricted from doing but of course there's a part of you that's sort of devastated and you're trying to reconstruct your beliefs and what you believe and um, sort of your worldview. So what did you end up reconstructing your beliefs or what did you, so, so my first episode on alternative Mormon is titled keeping the baby without the bathwater. And so the idea of like keeping the good, casting out the bad. So what did you reconstruct your worldview prior to coming back to the church as far as what you believed and what you decided to, to uh, discard? Yeah, so um, like I share with you some of my, you know, spiritual experiences that were huge in my youth, and I felt like I I couldn't deny um, that God answered my prayers. So I still believed in God, and I still believed in Jesus. Um, you know, like the experience I had being bullied at school, I still believed, you know, that was Jesus, me encountering Jesus. But all the things to do with Joseph Smith or the Book of Mormon, I just kind of thought were. I rejected those. I re- reinterpreted those as elevation emotion. So I still held to God and Jesus. Uh, I got an NIV version of the New Testament and I was reading through it. You know, I was going to Christian churches and listening to different ministers and pastors. And I was dating a Christian girl. So I was kind of diving into Protestant Christianity. And I wanted to fully embrace it. And, you know, I did you know the born again prayers even though I sort of said similar prayers as a Mormon but you know wanting to be saved and you know accept Jesus as my savior and um I think I never had a spiritual experience or conversion in Christianity I was kind of wanting that even though I'd lost trust in spiritual feelings I was still open to it in Christianity um but I never got it and as time went on, I began to research and study more critically things in the Bible. Um, you know, I read a book about the Trinity and I, I really grew to understand the Trinity. And I realized that, oh, we as members of the church misrepresent it. But at the same time, I did feel that I would never have come to the conclusion of the Trinity just from reading the Bible itself. Like the word Trinity is not in there. And I understand they're trying to, to harmonize things. So it's like, in Isaiah, it talks about there's only one God, but both Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit are referred to as God. So the, so the Bible doesn't contradict itself. You know, one God, three persons. Um, you know, the, the heaven and hell doctrine, I find hard to accept as well. Because I remember one day a friend was sort of challenging me on being Christian. And he was like, what? So if, like, if you don't accept Jesus, you're just going to an eternal hell. And I was like, um, and then I sort of like brought in my Mormonism. I was like, well, maybe in the next life, God will give them a chance to accept it. You know, I don't think he's going to send people to hell. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of harsh. And I remember listening to some ministers and pastors 
either outright say it or imply that Mormons are going to hell if they don't accept the real Jesus. And I, I had two sort of problems with that. One, because my mom had just passed away and my mom was like super faithful. Like she was just a saint. Like she was truly an angel. Um, and there's just, I just knew within me, I was like, if there's a heaven, she's there. I, I had no doubt about that. I'm like, I don't care like how they try to use the Bible. I know she's not in hell. And if she is, we're all going there. <laughs> so I, I, I was kind of disillusioned that way. But then I also felt like they would indicate like Mormons believe in a false Christ and it's a different Jesus. But I felt like I really came to know Jesus whenever I was 14 and really feel his love and his his goodness. And I, I didn't feel like that was just a different Mormon Jesus that I experienced. And whenever I, the church I was going to was Presbyterian and the minister gave a, a sermon about like predestination and that God's already pre-chosen who's saved and who's not. And and then I was like, oh, that's really problematic, you know, and I was comparing it to, well, at least in Mormonism, we have kingdoms of glory and we have free agency. I was like, that almost sounds better. Um, and then as I started to look critically at the Bible, you know, there's genocide in the bible you know where god commands the children of israel to kill the canaanites you know, all men women and children and animals and i was like oh my gosh i was like that's horrific like i've been focusing on how bad joseph Smith's plague me is and some things are very troubling but then you're like killing people in the name of god i'm like it doesn't get much worse than that and when i started looking at like biblical scholars sort of you know them talk about the scholarship and the historicity of the bible and who wrote the bible and you know, the first few chapters of Genesis, literal history or the differences in the gospel accounts. And I'd scrutinized Joseph Smith's first vision accounts. But then if I had to be intellectually honest, there's similar problems with the gospels. Like there's differences between like, you know, what it says on Jesus's cross or what he says when he's being crucified or, um, you know, who, who goes to the tomb during the resurrection or even how Judas dies are different. And even if you compare just like the book of John to like Matthew and Luke, it's like it's hard to harmonize them they're really different mm. so i began and it was the fact that i've been so critical of mormonism i felt like i had to be critical towards christianity and the bible and then i started to see problems as well and then i was starting to question like you know jesus god like all my spiritual experiences um and it was during this time that like you know my dad was sending me like apologetic things and my dad would always have discussions with me and I'd always beat him, you know, because I, I just felt like the faithful position was weak. And if we talk about controversial church history thing, I, I'd always felt like I'd win the argument and the evidence was stronger on, on my side. Um, but he was sending me like some apologetic things and I kind of wanted to just dismiss them. But then I was like, you know, what? I'm going to be open minded. I'll watch it. So he was sending me things like... Um, the similarities between like the temple endowments and ancient Egyptian temple rituals uh, and early like Christian temple rites. And then I was maybe looking at like the Book of Enoch parallels to like the Dead Sea Scrolls and, um, you know, the primary statements of the witnesses of the gold plates uh, or uh, like Nahum, Bountiful and Lehi travel through the Arabian Desert. So I was, I was now starting to really explore the apologetics more so than what I did. And it wasn't it wasn't convincing me of all the problems I saw, but it made me realize that huh, maybe there's a more 
to this. Maybe there's it sort of causes you to be a little bit more open-minded and think, is it possible I could be wrong or there's more information that I should have maybe taken into account? Um, but I still felt like there was way too many problems. But sort of like the, the catalyst for me sort of coming back to the church was somebody sent me a talk by Elder Corbridge entitled Stand Forever. I don't know. Have you watched that talk? I've, that's a CES uh, talk, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was a, I think it was yeah. a BYU devotional. Yeah, and, I have heard it. Um, and some people don't like that talk. And it was, it was funny that that talk had an impact on me. Um, but in a nutshell, he talks about how like, you know, a lot of people are leaving the church due to issues with church history and reading antagonistic material. And, um, you know, he talks about like primary questions, secondary questions, and a lot of the issues people have, he called them, you know, secondary questions. And the primary questions are like, is, is there a God who is our father? Is Jesus Christ our savior? Was Joseph Smith a prophet? Is the Book of Mormon true? Is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints the Lord's restored church? And he talked about how people can just be bombarded and swamped and give all their time and energy and attention to the secondary questions. And even if you find answers to those, you'll never find answers to the primary ones. And he talked about like feeling like gloom as he went through all the antagonistic material. And part of me was like, well, yeah, you feel gloomy because your religion is pretty much being disproven and realizing that you're wrong. Uh, but in his talk, like he he sort of framed that spiritual gloom he felt as like the absence of the spirit. And he talked about like there's different ways you can know things. There's like the scientific method, the researcher analytical method, gathering all the information. Then he talked about the spiritual and divine method. And um, at the very end of his talk, he sort of like held up the scriptures and gave a bold sort of like declaration, like ask yourselves, ask God, are these lies, delusion or truth? And that sort of, it did touch my heart when he said that. And I, I truly felt that he was being sincere. I didn't feel like he was trying to manipulate me or say like, oh, don't forget about all these issues. I didn't feel like that was the intent of his talk. And I, I did resonate because I felt like I was so focused on looking at the research, you know, for the Bible and looking into apologetics and looking into what critics were saying. And I was becoming more and more confused. And I was like, am, am I going to be a Christian? Is there any validity now to, you know, the church? Should, are all religions just wrong and everything's problematic, but maybe there's still a God, maybe still a Jesus, or maybe I should just go atheist. So I was really torn during this time. But that sort of declaration about like, you know, ask yourselves, ask God, are these, are these, you know, lies, delusion or truth? And I either had come to the conclusion, Joe Smith was uh, a con man, you know, a deliberate fraud, or maybe, you know, as I read Roughstone Rowling and Dan Vogel, I was like, he seems sincere. Maybe, maybe he's a pious fraud, but I did, I wasn't open to it possibly being true because I just saw too many problems and issues I couldn't intellectually reconcile. Um, but I kind of had this moment where I was like, if I believe there's a God and I couldn't deny certain answers to prayer, I was like, I need to have have faith and trust that like God will speak to me. If he like, if I don't have faith in that, there's no point really believing in it. If I don't believe he'll he'll answer me so over the next sort of I think I wrestled with that talk and was wrestling with things and then I was like I'm gonna fast I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna you know pour out all my concerns all my questions in prayer and I'm, but I'm gonna ask like the primary questions and I was praying about like what's true 
what's the right path i'm sincerely like laying all my doubts all my concerns to one side it was really heartfelt it was really earnest really urgent because i didn't know what path i was going to choose um and i prayed to know you know is joseph Smith the prophet are the is the book of mormon and the scriptures like are they you know your words um you know what's the right path should i be a christian should i return to the church like i said i just felt really confused and i wanted a spiritual answer but i felt like i needed more than just a feeling um so anyway i was fasting i was praying and didn't feel like i was getting any sort of distinct answer but this thought sort of came into my head like as a missionary i would have said if you want to talk to god you know pray if you want god to talk to you open the scriptures and I hadn't opened the scriptures in, in a while, really since I left, other than the New Testament. But I opened one day to um, uh, to a passage in Doctrine and Covenants 18, and I read uh, these words. I'll paraphrase, I don't know it by memory, but it essentially said, like, these are not the words of men, nor the words of a man, but these are you know, the words of Christ, you know, given to my servants by my power through my spirits, um and you know you can testify that you've heard my words and know my voice and later it talked about like you need to repent and be faithful and you know worship the father in my name and to keep the commandments in order to be saved in the kingdom of god because i was also very torn about the whole grace versus work sort of controversy um but as i read that passage um just i remember tears were just coming down my face and you know the scriptures say that the spirit will like enlighten your mind and fill your soul with joy and that was exactly what I felt and experienced I just felt like this light and illumination in my mind it was like it was like it was God speaking very directly to me and I felt just joy and love in my heart and in the moment I believed and kind of knew that was like an answer or a revelation from God but then as the spiritual feelings faded away, I kind of returned to my natural self. I kind of was like, hold on a wee minute. I was like, was that really a revelation? Like, was that, was that really God speaking to me? I was like, maybe I just opened the scriptures, happened to stumble across that passage. It seemed kind of direct. You know, of course, you know, Joseph Smith's book would say, you know, this is God's word. And that triggered a really spiritual, emotional experience. But then at the same time, part of me felt like it really did feel like a, like if that wasn't a spiritual experience, I don't know what would be, it, you know, other than seeing an angel or hearing an audible voice. So I didn't want to reject it, but I also felt like I'm, I'm not sure if that really was a revelation. So I was praying again for spiritual confirmation. Like, was this really you speaking to me, God, or, you know, was this just an emotional experience? Because I don't want to be misled. I don't want to make the wrong decision. I want to follow the truth. But I have all of these issues, right? So I can't just go off this. Um, so I prayed again, and the next day I read in Doctrine and Covenants six, and this was a revelation given to the Lord, or by the Lord to Oliver Cardry through Joseph Smith. And I think it's verses fourteen to seventeen. And I was kind of like mind blown when I read these verses. It said, uh, "Blessed art thou for what thou hast done, for thou hast inquired of me." And as often as thou hast inquired, thou hast received instruction of my spirit. If it were not so, you would not be at the place where you are at this time. Behold, thou knowest, thou hast inquired of me, and I did enlighten thy mind, and I tell thee 
the these things that thou mayest know that thou has been enlightened by the spirit of truth and then later it goes on to say like did i not speak peace to your mind concerning the matter what greater witness can you have than from god and again i felt just mind blown gobsmacked um i felt like this same enlightenment and joy in my heart and um it just felt so direct it was, it was like it was the lord confirming that you know you've inquired of me i did enlighten your mind you know this is the spirit of truth what greater witness can you have than from god and i felt like that was god very directly sort of confirming that i had received a revelation um but again the same process happened a few hours later i wrestled with it i was almost a bit annoyed that i received that answer because i didn't want to i didn't like the implications of it and I, I kind of felt this pull like god was telling me to come back to the church um but i had real issues with it and i, I remember i went back and i reread the cs letter again and then i was like oh no i was like this can't be true so i went back and was praying to god and i was like what the flip god i was like how can you be giving me this answer when there's all of these problems like what about the book of abraham or you know joseph's polygamy or dna native americans like aren't you aware of this god like how can you be telling me it's true and to come back but at the same time, part of me felt like, God, I don't want to deny if this really was you speaking to me, but I really don't want to make the wrong decision. And then as, as I was going through the scriptures, I encountered like a passage, I think it was in Jacob 4 or something. And it it's talked about like despise not the revelations of God and don't seek to counsel the Lord, but seek counsel from his hands. And I was just like, oh, come on, like flip's sake, God, like like I felt like I wasn't getting any answers to the specific issues but it was like a confirming again the message to you know kind of like not tell God what to do but to listen to his counsel and then after that I did sort of go through a, a short period where I was just like no I'm not accepting it I can't believe this like no I like if it's true send me an angel send me the gold plates I'm not convinced sort of thing and then uh, the angel Moroni came, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, the heavens kind of closed, I felt, for a bit. I felt like I wasn't getting any answers or anything. And I did sort of, that was like a time where I did feel a bit of emptiness. It, it was almost, it felt like, not not to like in a fearful way, but it did feel a little bit dark inside. And I, I sort of felt like I was rejecting or sort of hardening my heart a little bit. So I decided I would sort of, humble myself a little bit and pray again and be like, look, God, I'm sorry if I'm demanding a sign. And then when I went to the scriptures, you know, I'd read about how like it's wrong to seek a sign. Like, yeah, signs follow those that believe, but belief doesn't come by signs and like faith does not have a perfect knowledge. So I was continuing to pray about it and I, I felt like this pull and this urgency to act upon what I'd experienced. But I also still had all the books on my shelf. Um, and I remember I just I had to make a decision and I remember like just thinking to myself um I remember I, I had this thought I don't know if it was my thought or if it was the spirit but it was like if God appeared to you right now and, and told you it's true would you believe it and it was like well yeah obviously or if the angel came with the gold plates would you believe it and it was like yeah like of course and then I remember I had this thought like why would you believe the spirit when when he tells you I knew part of the answer to that was because it still required faith. Like it wasn't, I didn't have certainty or sure knowledge. Um, and I, I sort of 
what caused me to make the decision to go back is I really had to contemplate and weigh up do I think this was really revelation or could have just been coincidences or elevation of motion because I saw that possibility and you know if if I'm sort of a betting man and I had to bet my money or bet my life or my soul on if this was a real spiritual experience like if, if I died tomorrow went to the afterlife stood before God would I expect him to say this was a spiritual experience or not and that's when I made my decision um I felt like I did have quite at least to me their powerful spiritual experiences more than I'd had previously um and I felt like I needed to act upon it but it still required me to have faith and I wrestled like it was really hard going back to church um I still had a lot of the issues but I I felt like God to give me this answer and he was pulling me to come back and uh so I went back to the church so I want to dive into um your beliefs following your reconstruction but I actually want to backtrack first um about your deconstruction a little bit so you talked a little bit about exploring Christianity exploring the Bible um I'm going to put in a little bit of a shameless plug for my next couple episodes because next week I have John Hamer from the Community of Christ joining me. Oh, great. Um, and he, I've heard him talk a lot about the literalness of the Bible and of scripture. Yeah. yeah. And that's actually going to be one of the big points of our dis- discussion because I've found as I've read the Bible, if you do read it with a literal lens, it's quite disturbing, especially the Old Testament. Yeah. And, I had a similar and, discussion with Terrell Gibbons as well. Yeah. yeah, and and I think, um, let me put on my LDS hat for a second. I think the same thing could be said about LDS scripture and LDS church history, probably. If, mm-hmm. it, you know, if you have this black and white view, and, and we'll get into this in your, in your reconstructed beliefs, because without putting words in your mouth, I assume that's somewhat where your beliefs are now. But if you have a literal view on every piece of scripture, you know, you read DNC 132, and it's quite disturbing, you know, parts of it if you read with this literal lens, um, whereas maybe more of a more of a nuanced approach. So, a little bit of a of a uh, plug there, and and then oh, I was also going to say I've been studying and reading. I don't know if you've read this book, Stephen, but it's a history of the Bible by John Barton. And, no, uh, I'll have it, to read it. Yeah, I'd I'd highly recommend it. He's a Anglican priest and a, or at least at the time of his book, and a professor of theology from Oxford. And he pretty much debunks the Bible, kind of like you said, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. the Old Testament, the, and I'll get into this more in our Bible episodes in a couple of weeks, but the Old Testament, the earliest writings at best are like 800 BC, but a lot of them are probably yeah. like 500 BC. Yeah. There's no archaeological evidence of Moses. There's no, arche- there's a little bit of archaeological evidence for Abraham, but it's probably anachronistic. And so yeah. it's like, it's really easy, kind of like you were saying, similar to the critics of the Book of Mormon and LDS church, it's really easy to just deconstruct it all. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'll be, you know, I'll be honest with my bias um, because as you're deconstructing, it does feel like a slippery slope. And I felt like, you know, I have a bias and, and I'm trying to overcome this bias just to truly find the truth. But I do have a bias that I've had these spiritual experiences. And honestly, like I want to believe in Jesus, right? Like my belief in Jesus is very positive and it's helped my life a lot. And so as I was deconstructing, I just threw the handbrake on when I got close to Jesus. And I was like, no, 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 we're not deconstructing that. Oh, yeah. You know? 
can't deconstruct Jesus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't want to, right? So, <laughs> so it's it's hard not to have that bias. I mean, I do have logical reasons I still believe in Jesus, and I'll you know we won't get into those today, but um, but yeah, it's it's interesting because deconstruction. Um, and I, I went on a rant and I actually got pushed back from it from an ex-Mormon, so I won't go on another rant. Deconstru- but just briefly, deconstructionists, you know, the true deconstructionists, their goal is just to, to tear down. And, and yeah. it's really easy to get in that mindset if you're not careful, I think. It can, yeah. I think, you know, it can be, it, there, it's different. You can critically examine things and look at the scholarship and look at the plausibility. And then people can have the where they just want to you know tear everything down i think you know a case can be made i think there's no doubt there was a historical jesus among most biblical scholars and even if you don't believe that everything in matthew mark luke or john is literal um because some things that are contradictory they, they both can't be true but you could still believe that there's an ultimate truth at the core of it but it's you know it was written decades after in oral traditions and I guess I have less faith in scripture, if that makes sense. I see it more as like writings written by uh, followers or people who were, maybe were inspired, but they're recording either their experiences, but there's maybe truth at the center of it, but not that every single word is, you know, literally, you know, with the word of God. Not saying maybe that does happen in some instances, so I'm not, um, I'm allowing room for that, but I don't believe every single scripture, even in Latter-day, Latter-day latter-day scripture is you know from the mouth of god yeah yeah it's uh it seems to me that scripture seems to be you know you know we're taught from a young age that it's very black and white but it seems to be filtered through the lens or or filtered through the imperfections of humans at best yeah i think at best i agree like it's not it's hard to argue it's inerrant and i would have had just that really literal view like it's either it's like by facts you know into their mind or it's god speaking in there hearing audible voice and writing it down um and you know it's it's very problematic when you encounter either contradictions or things that just seem really bad or immoral in scripture that paint god as a monster and you know i you don't want to be a cafeteria believer or or mormon but you know it's, it's it's hard to you know I, I believe in a God that commanded, you know, genocide, <laughs> you know, it was like, uh, that's not the God that I believe in or the God that I feel like has answered my prayers and that I've encountered with a being of just love and who's good would, it's, it's hard to sort of reconcile that. So I almost feel like you get forced to not be a fundamentalist when you become more informed on troubling things. Right. Yeah, totally. Um, okay, I want to get into the reconstruction of your beliefs, and this is probably what I'm most excited to hear about because I've joked with my wife um, that if I was ever to return to the church, well, I am, I am still a member, but if I ever returned, you know, a full believing temple recommend yeah. holding member, um, that there's no way that I would still believe the same things I believed on the other side of my faith crisis. Like to yeah. me, that just seems impossible. And so I want to hear what what's different from your belief today than it was a few years ago before your faith crisis. And and obviously this could probably be like hours and hours and hours of discussion. But what is the framework you've built to make to make it all work? Yeah. Um, so I just want to give a sort of disclaimer start with I, I've kind of returning to the church. I have a lot more epistemic humility 
I would have felt very sure before that I know things and now I feel like I believe or I have faith or some things it's like I'm still sort of figuring out so I feel like there's a bit of a tear to like my beliefs or what I feel confident in and sort of at the top would be like you know God and prayer and Jesus Christ when I did come back I did sort of become kind of orthodox again but in a very nuanced way um so I would say that I believed in Joseph Smith's first vision the core of it the core message the Book of Mormon's historicity but perhaps the translation not being uh tight super direct but maybe more loose maybe in Joseph Smith's own vocabulary if I believe the spiritual revelation I I thought I had prophets the way I sort of view prophets is I, I still wrestle with this because I don't have a testimony of prophets um and it's something I discussed with the priesthood leader but I sustain them and accept them if they are sort of called of God and have his authority I think the way I view prophets is they maybe can be inspired in similar ways that I view that I've had promptings or experiences where I believe have been inspired but then there's times where I've also been wrong about something or wrong about a prompting and it's kind of confusing because it doesn't fit in with the very simplistic you know just beautiful way we see how God should work and the church should work but I acknowledge the prophets not only can be like fallible or imperfect but like they can just be wrong and like they can be racist and they can teach false doctrine they can be wrong about revelation and that, that's really I still wrestle with that because part of me thinks like if a prophet is wrong about you know the nature of God or like you know the priesthood band that like then that's what they feel the test as a prophet and throw them out and primarily it is my spiritual experience that has caused me to believe again you know maybe some things with apologetics, I think there can be a case made to some things to support the church, but it's really been me having to shift my paradigms. So, for example, I would have believed, you know, conference talks are them sort of, that's like modern day scripture, like the mind and will of God. And I would have believed the prophets and apostles would regularly meet with and talk with Jesus. And I, I don't hold that position now. I'm not saying that they definitely haven't because I don't know that but I don't um I don't think that that's what happens and I probably view sort of revelation in their decisions in a more general way they probably counsel about things I think they're very sincere they're seeking revelation but for example like the November 2015 policy I don't believe that came from God you know and then it was reversed four years later um so I I don't I don't see all of the spiritual decisions made by by them as being the mind and will of God. And that's I'm still sort of processing things. Um, so that's that's something I kind of wrestle with. Uh, but I also feel like there's been times where I've in my own faith journey, uh, I've had faith promoting experiences with certain talks like the one I share with you from Elder Corbridge or even an address from President Nelson that was really impactful to me in a certain season in my life that I felt like God was almost speaking to me through it and received a message and I was able to have maybe a little bit of faith that maybe he's being inspired and that God can still communicate with them at times you know throwing away the black and white mindset if they're wrong in one instance then they're always wrong they're not inspired 
Um, so I think I've definitely become more nuanced that way. But it can be hard, you know, being in a Sunday school lesson and them saying, you know, prophets will always teach the truth. They'll never lead you astray. And you're like, oh, like, just read what Brigham Young said about Adam being God or blood atonement or, you know. Um, so those things, even if the foundational truth claims hold up, like, you know, ancient gold plates and angel Moroni and Joseph Smith's first vision and, you know, the restoration of the church, I still can't go back to the very simplistic black and white view I had of prophets and scripture and revelation uh, that I had before. So let, hopefully I won't put words in your mouth, um, but it sounds like you have more of a, maybe a humble or a submissive faith, but not a simplistic faith. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. I think it's more, it's more thoughtful. Like it's more refined. Like in some ways I felt sad for a season after returning because I felt like my, my testimony wasn't as strong. I felt like I, I, I don't feel as sure and my faith is weaker. But then when I thought about, you know, the shelf analogy, like my initial testimony on my first shelf completely broke with all the troubling things in church history um, with the church truth claims and, you know, the books just broke the shelf. And it was like, God gave me a new shelf, but a lot of the books were still there. And, and slowly as I've been researching, navigating my way through, some books aren't as heavy as they were. I've got some maybe newer books, which are more heavy, which I'm trying to figure out. And there's been times where like I've continued to have faith struggles. So it's not like I had my faith crisis, had this experience and then happily ever after, like a lot of the, the doubts and things resurface and I've continued to dive into apologetics and, uh, you know, critics and listen to podcasts and, you know, I've continued to have faith struggles. And when it's been looking like, oh, I think my shelf's going to crash. I've sort of had a similar sort of spiritual experience in my life. Um, and it's like God's put in like another screw to sort of keep you there. But yeah, like my faith is definitely a lot more humble because I can see the opposing evidence and the opposing point of view. And if you're being sort of rational, understandable person, I acknowledge that like it's primarily faith why I believe and why I'm still in. I don't think it's completely irrational or, or stupid, if that makes sense, uh, as I've weighed it up. But I've definitely considered the possibility of, you know, I could be wrong. And I'm still sort of open to seeking and hearing, you know, the, the evidence and arguments from both sides. Yeah. And, you know, for me as someone who, uh, I don't know if I would go as far as to call myself an intellectual, but someone who's kind of logical thinking and likes to study and learn. I always yeah. kind of took issue with the, uh, you know, when Jesus says to be like a child in your belief, I'm like, well, I don't want to be stupid or like ignorant, probably stupid is yeah. the word for a child, but like ignorant or naive. But I, as I've thought about that more, and as you've been talking, I keep thinking about that in the New Testament. I, I don't think Jesus is saying to be ignorant. I think it's probably more of kind of that humble or submissive or just like, look, like maybe not even like an agnostic belief, but like sort of like a, like giving to God, like, look, I don't know things, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm more willing to just, you know, do what yeah. I do, sort of. Yeah, I think the way I sort of see it is like, and again, I, I don't know with complete certainty that the experiences I had with the scripture were, that was definitely a revelation from God. Certainly active believing members I shared it with were like, that was definitely God, it was definitely revelation. And then 
Axe Morn just be like, what are you doing? That was just elevation emotion. Um, so, like, I don't, um, yeah, I don't have absolute uh, certainty. Sorry, what was the comment you made? Because I had a thought and then it just disappeared. Uh, just about the childlike faith and... Right, right, yeah. I feel like, um, like, I feel like I had to kind of trust God in a way like when people are kind of like how could you go back to the church when there's all these issues and I always feel like saying like I don't know like blame God like <laughs> I always feel like he told me um and that, that's part of my story is it's primarily uh spiritual experiences that I've had that have convinced me uh and they're not I don't share them to try to convince any other people I feel like I don't think it's really ethical. I've had people do that with me. They've tried to use almost like weaponize their testimony and spiritual experiences as a way to convince you. And I think it also comes from a place of, of weakness. Um, I'm always just sharing them because it's part of my story. But I don't like to share them to convince people it's true or you know those sorts of things. But that's a big reason why I've made certain decisions in my life and in my faith journey, it's more trying to align the spiritual and the intellectual because we've been given both heart and mind, you know, and the intellectual side and reason and logic and evidence like that's important. And if everything seems like it's going against on that side, then there's kind of a problem. And I feel like that's sort of where I'm at in my own faith journey is I'm, I'm, I don't want to dismiss or deny my spiritual experiences. I want to include and incorporate them but I need to also use my brain and the evidence and try to, and to find a way to align them. Not trying to prove my faith because faith will always be not provable. Um, there, there will always be an element of uncertainty about things, but it's if your faith can be easily disproven, then that's sort of a problem. Yeah, two, well, one thought and then one question. Um, you talked about your intellect. One of my favorite quotes is from Galileo. He says, I do not feel obliged to believe that the same God who has endowed us with sense, reason, and intellect has intended, intended us to forgo their use. Exactly. Which I, yeah. I, I love that, right? Like God, God made us the way we are. He gave us a brain to think, uh, you know, to reason. So why, why should we just turn that off? Yeah. And I think a really healthy thing that's helped me in my faith crisis, because the church was sometimes viewed doubt as like doubt's a really negative thing. Like doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith. Like this is the influence of Satan. Um, and if you have like a really orthodox view, I can understand them thinking that way. Like, but as I've been going through this, I I believe that I was like, if God has a plan for me, I feel like this was part of my plan, or else it was inevitable I was going to encounter this. And also, since coming back, I've had friends and family members who are going through a faith crisis or who have left who have a lot of the same issues that I have. And it's also made me realize like, oh, okay, this is actually more common than what I think. It's not just me that I'm, you know, a problem. I'm the one who just doesn't have enough faith. Um, and it's helped me to also, I think, you know, like mourn with those that mourn, you know, to quote scripture, like have more empathy and compassion and to those people who have struggles with faith because I never understood it like for the first 22 years of my life except for that one experience on my mission that I shared with you like I never struggled with doubts or lack of faith and I never understood those people I kind of just thought oh they're weak their testimony is not strong enough they're just not converted enough and I feel like it's made me more humble and more almost 
kind and reasonable to see that there's opposing views and opposing reasons for belief and not belief. Um, and yeah, it's, yeah, it's caused me to have just more empathy and understanding to other people. Yeah, I, I want to I want to dive into that more to close us out. But before I, I'm about my brain's about to lose a question. Um, so I need to ask <laughs> yeah. before I forget. I all the time. <laughs> Are you familiar with um, with Pascal's wager? Um, Re-explain it to me. I think so. So of- it's it's kind of the logical idea um, that you should believe in God because uh, if you do believe in God and He's real, you have eternal salvation. If you do believe in God and he's not real, you just die and you don't exist anymore. Uh, yeah. but it, you shouldn't not believe in God because if he's not real again, nothing happens. But if he is real, you burn for eternity in hell type of logic. Does that make sense? <laughs> is, is that kind of wager at all in your belief system? And I, I don't mean that to be an offensive question. I'm just curious. No, like if I'm being honest, yeah, for sure. I, I've definitely considered that. Like, not that I view God as like an angry, vengeful God that I'll be punished to an eternal hell. But I've certainly wrestled with, you know, if I'm if I'm wrong about this, um, as long as I'm sort of happy and lead a fulfilling life, like how much am I losing out on? But yeah, if, if I'm sort of rejecting, if that really was God speaking to me and I'm rejecting it, um, you know, which would be the worst sort of scenario? And certainly that's me weighing it up. Um, but I wouldn't say it was a decision made out of fear primarily. I think it was certainly more of a, I felt a pull and an urgency like God was wanting me to act upon it and draw closer to him through following this rather than if you don't follow it, then, you know, you're, you're going to hell in a sort of like manipulative way. I know some people might view it that way. Um, but certainly, like that, is a factor in my my spiritual decision as well. But you, yeah, you answered that perfectly. How I hope would hope hoped you would, because it wasn't just a hedging up your bets type decision. You had a spiritual experience and a motivation to do it. It wasn't just well, I really don't know. It's equal. I'm just going to hedge up my bets and say worst case scenario, I'm wrong, and this is all made up, right? There's yeah, more than just that. That's- yeah, I think that's kind of it um, as well. But I think at the same time, if I felt, um, I'm trying to think how to put this, if I feel like I'm very unhappy or, or if I feel like I come to the same, a similar conclusion like I did before, that I feel intellectually convinced it's not true and I feel like this, um, I don't want to be part of this institution, if I got to that point, and reinterpreted some of those spiritual experiences, I would have the, I hope the courage and integrity to act upon it, despite acknowledging the possibility I could be wrong, if that makes sense. Um, But yeah, you're exactly right that those things, particularly with those experiences I had, um, it's definitely a factor in, you know, this decisions I've made. I, I asked that question because I've seen a little bit on ex-Mormon Reddit, ex-Mormon Twitter of people maybe stereotyping people like you who come back to the church of like, oh, well, they just didn't like the confusion out in the world and they were just hedging up their bets and 
And they just almost kind of the, the opposite argument of people who are in the church against people that leave like, oh, they're just weak. They didn't think for themselves like the same. Yeah. It's so funny, the tribalism and the polarization you see on both sides, because I saw that from ex-Mormon Reddit a little bit of like, oh, well, the people that come back, like they just couldn't take it. They couldn't take the heat. And so they got out of the kitchen. Type yeah. Thing. And I, I've even considered that myself, like maybe, you know, did I just not give being an ex-Mormon enough time, you know, all those sorts of things. And Possibly, like there was maybe a fear that if I lost my faith in God and Jesus, will I lose my morality? And did that cause me to, you know, want to come back? But the one thing that caused me to think my experience had a little bit more validity is a big part of me didn't want to come back to the church when I had it. So I didn't feel like my experiences were, I want to come back to the church and confirmation bias. And I was really happy about it. I really did wrestle with wanting to come back. I did go through a period where I was just like, I'm not believing this. And it was hard. Um, but yeah, certainly it, it was weighing up sort of the outcomes. And for me, at least, you know, if, if there is a God, I kind of had to see it as if there is a God, do I think this was him answering me or not? Like it would almost be strange for me anyway, to if there was a God, and in the next life, and he says, oh, actually, that wasn't me speaking to you. I would have been like, what the flip, God? I would have been like, you know, you let me feel really confused and misled. And, um, you know, why did you let me have this experience when I was like begging out to you for some sort of an answer or sign? Um, but, yeah, I can understand their perspective. And it, it seemed to me as well, as I sort of look back, like whenever I felt that pull to come back, uh, my now wife, she had just moved to Ireland to study English for a few months. Uh, we met at a YSA convention. And if, if I hadn't have come back when I did, I wouldn't have met her. Not saying like it was pre-planned or predestined, but it was kind of interesting, like thinking like if I hadn't acted then, you know, I wouldn't have met her and certain things in my life. Um, so I, I guess for me, I kind of weighed up and it, it seemed like God's hand was in it, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, we are coming up on an hour and a half and you've been more than gracious with your time. So I have just one last question and then I'll let you get back to your day. Um, Perfect. But I, I appreciate the conversation. This has been enlightening for me and hopefully for our listeners as well. Yeah, it's been great. Really great. Um, as far as faith crises go, I think you'd agree there's a little bit of a epidemic in the church of faith crises. Uh, it's a serious problem. Some people yeah. even use the word hemorrhaging, that the church is hemorrhaging. I think that's maybe dramatic, but... I, I do think it's a serious problem. Yeah, I think there's validity to it. Yeah. Um, for two questions. First of all, what would you want to say to someone who's in the depths of a faith crisis? And then the second question is, what do you think both local and general leaders of the church should do? Or what would your recommendations be to the leaders for those who are struggling? Those are great questions. Um, I think first off, I would just just tell them that I, I understand and I feel like I empathize um, and not in a sort of condescending way, like, oh, I've overcome it and you will too. Like I'm still processing and navigating my way through things. And part of me starting my channel is, is kind of realizing that, oh, I need to confront these issues. These are big issues. And while I'm still holding to my faith and my spiritual experiences and trying to keep doing the spiritual things as I do it, they really do need to be confronted because I've had more friends and family members leave. And as I've been re-looking at 
the truth claims and watching the LDS discussion series. It's sort of like, it's forced me to confront these things again. I can't just leave things on the shelf or just, you know, go with just the apologetic arguments on things. Uh, but I would say like, I fully, I really do understand and empathize and, um, you know, I don't want to seem like I'm a spiritual guru or because of the experiences I had that they must come to that same conclusion or that same decision, you know, um, yeah, I, th I feel that my encouragement to them would be to make the best decision for them, what they feel is right intellectually, emotionally, and spiritually, um, you know, to, to look at, I think looking at both sides is a good thing in any sort of um, whatever the topic, you know, to try to be balanced, really try to be careful with your research. You know, there's maybe some things that I believe whenever I left the church that I realized with further research maybe weren't, you know, most reliable sources. Um, so it's really good to just look at both sides fairly and objectively as best you can. I think reaching out to people as well, often when you're in a faith crisis, you can just be miserable and depressed and I think talking about it can normalize it and you can find community and just support either if you decide to stay in or to leave. I think just community and, you know, to be around people that can support you and you realize you're not crazy. Um, I think my final advice would be to people, at least in my experiences, to include God in your faith crisis and still be open to, you know, spiritual lights or answers and um, you know, if you feel like you've done everything spiritually in your power and no answer has come, then you've obviously got to make the best decision you can based on the evidence and how you feel and what's happiest and best for your life. And I wouldn't want to sway people either way in that decision. They have to do what's right for them. And yeah, I sort of honor and sustain whatever path they choose. So... Um, so my older brother uh, just got called as a bishop, which uh, if, you know, to balance out the dark side and the light side of the force, he had to become a bishop to offset <laughs> all of me, me and my heathen siblings. But um, I probably will end up sending this episode to him. Yeah. And so because he specifically asked me and it was really um, it was really big of him and I really respected it. He said, hey, with your experience. Really what cool. would you recommend to leaders of the church to help people through this? So, so what would your answer be to him or to other bishops, stake presidents? That's a great question. Um, well, I had a recent encounter with a, a priesthood leader. I won't say who it was. Um, and I think he did have, I think, sincere uh, intentions. I don't think it was just trying to control and manipulate me. And he'd actually had a family member who had just lost his faith. So I think he was shaken a little bit and felt um maybe a bit insecure but he was sort of like beating me it felt like metaphorically beating me around the, the head with his own testimony and sort of telling me that i need to stop researching and stop questioning and doubting and to kind of get back in line and just you know live the gospel and just focus on the gospel and stop all this and I, while he was well-meaning I think that is the wrong approach and I would discourage any priesthood leader from acting that way because one, the person can feel really misunderstood. And I also think telling them like, don't research, don't use your brain, don't 
look at scholarship or you know it's like but if it's true it can withhold those things so i feel like that's probably not the best counsel to give you know and i think you know we shouldn't have this fear uh possession of people exploring and researching and questioning and obviously like one of the foundational parts of like our religion is joe smith's first vision who was asking questions and searching and wanted to find truth and I don't think we should discourage people from that. Um, and I think, you know, I think just trying to be empathetic, trying to be understanding, you know, you could try to show them, you know, resources. And I, I really think that leaders of the church, they should all be aware of like the gospel topics essays and the science volumes and even like, you know, like channels like Science Unscripted. Like I think all members should at least watch either a, you know, like a faithful channel like that to at least be somewhat informed on those things sure it's with a faithful interpretation um but i think there can just be too much judgment when it comes to people having doubts about these things and i think there needs to just be more understanding and um yeah um it's hard because i'm not in that position i don't really like to counsel people because there can often be, you know, the, the only conclusion you can come to is the church is true. So they're always trying to like, you just need to have more faith in Jesus Christ or read these scriptures or go to Fair Mormon. That will solve the problem. Um, and people come to their own conclusions and make their own decisions. So I think it's, I think just trying to listen to people and, and trying to, I think uh, them as a priesthood leader, trying to do what they feel like Jesus would do with them you know how, how would he feel with them uh and in terms of you know like the leaders at the top like the apostles and the prophets i think they're probably aware of most of these things i think you know they're not they're not experts they're not historians um i don't know to what extent they knew about all the these controversial things um you know as they were growing up in the church or as they were you know general authorities um, but I think I think there needs to be more discussion and more transparency and more dialogue and people just kind of people want answers. And while some things are, you know, in a scholarly department, I think people are really wanting spiritual answers as well. And that would be really great and helpful as well if they were to come. But I think just more openness and transparency and less judgmentalism. Well, Stephen, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Uh, yeah, any, been on. Any, any last comments you want to make before we sign off for today? No. Um, you know, if, if people are curious about where I am exactly, I, I'm still in the church. I still attend. I'm still believing, but probably a lot more nuanced as, I, I, as I've shared. And I'm trying to still figure things out and confront things. And I'm still researching and that sort of the journey that I'm on um and yeah no it's just been great it's been a really fun interview you've been a great interviewer and I've really enjoyed being on well thanks Stephen yeah thank you thank you for listening if you have questions suggestions or want to share your own faith transition story please email me at alternative mormon podcast at gmail.com also please share this or other episodes with anyone you might know who wants help on their faith transition journey. 
Today's music is provided by Dale Harris with his song, Speak to Me. If you want to listen to more of his songs, please check out his website in the show notes for today's episode. Thank you.